Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Reid Hoffman is a uh, billionaire. He's one of the co-founders of LinkedIn, social media website for business. He's a Democrat. And he and about a dozen other left-wing billionaires got together last Friday on a Zoom call. Reid Hoffman apparently laid out this PowerPoint presentation. I'm getting this information, by the way, from a piece that uh, Michael Scherer wrote for the Washington Post titled, Liberal Groups Devote Millions to Blocking GOP Election Deniers. And in his PowerPoint, basically, he said that the 2022 elections, well, here's the exact quote, MAGA leaders intend to use 2022 midterm wins to install Trump in 2024, regardless of the vote. This is that worst case scenario where we've already got a couple of states that have changed their laws to say that whoever wins the state vote for president, whichever candidate wins, doesn't matter anymore. What matters now is who the, the legislature, the House and the Senate of the state, want to send to the Electoral College. Again, this is all the Electoral College. This is why we need this interstate compact to fix this problem. But in any case, you've got a bunch of billionaires who are getting together, and they're pretty freaked out about this. Michael Schur points out in this piece in the Washington Post that this new strategy has diverted some of the focus away from federal House and Senate races and toward battleground state governor and secretary of state races, election administration contests, and even ballot measures aimed at protecting ballot access and tabulation. This year, the group has decided to spend money in only five 2024 battleground states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Nevada, which in my mind is a bad thing. I mean, you know, it's, it, yeah, I get it. You know, there's limited resources and you've got to put them where they're going to have the greatest impact. But I'm a big fan of the 50-state strategy, of Howard Dean's 50-state strategy, and I think that we need to go back to that. The Democracy Alliance, which is another liberal, wealthy liberal donor group, Pamela Schiffman, their president, said, democracy is the central issue of our time. It calls us all to the field. It is why we are all here. They're all in on trying to preserve American democracy. I mean, we're not even, progressives, Democrats are not even trying to save Social Security any longer. 
under the relentless attacks by Republicans. They're not even trying to stop the privatization of Medicare, which is now almost half completed. That was started by George W. Bush in 2003 with the uh, Medicare Advantage scams. Um, they're, they're not you know, trying to convince the president to forgive $50,000 in student loan debt. They're trying to preserve our democracy. This is what this has come down to. Ben Wickler, who's been a regular guest on this program for years, great guy. He is the chair of the, of the uh, Wisconsin Democrats, the, the Democratic Party in Wisconsin. He said, again, quoting from the Washington Post today, quote, the threat of a Republican who in 2024 attempts to complete what failed in 2020 has been an enormous motivator of volunteers for donors, large and small, for people who want to fight for democracy, almost regardless of their politics. The significance to the entire country of the governor's race has become an argument that resonates in every part of the state. The reason for that, of course, is that the legislature, because of gerrymandering, the legislature of Wisconsin is controlled by Republicans, even though a majority of people in Wisconsin vote for Democrats, which is why the state has a Democratic governor. Same thing in Michigan. And so what they're suggesting is that we need to hang on to these governors because they can veto legislation that would give the state legislature the power to flip the electoral college vote from that state. But how did we get here? We got here from the U.S. Supreme Court, and nobody talks about this. It was the U.S. Supreme Court who said that billionaires can buy elections. The Buckley decision in 76, the Bilotti decision in 78, the 76 decision was billionaires can buy, individual billionaires can buy politicians, and it's no longer called bribery or political corruption. The 78 Bilotti decision said corporations, because they're persons, have the same right, that same First Amendment right to exercise free speech by pouring money down the throats of politicians. That, of course, led to the Reagan Revolution two years later in 1980. All this corporate money flowing into the GOP. And then in 2010, the, the Supreme Court tripled down with Citizens United, blowing up over 100 federal and state laws, good government laws, that required, you know, they called for transparency or limited the amount of money you could give politicians or the way that you could do it, or somewhat regulated PACs and super PACs. They blew all that up, or much of that, most of that up, in 2010 with Citizens United, and then three years later with McCutcheon, with that decision, the Supreme Court decision in 2013, they said, oh, and by the way, there's no longer a limit on how many politicians an individual billionaire can own. It used to be a little over 100. Now there's no limit. And so, you know, we've got right-wing billionaires who have just totally poisoned the political atmosphere in the United States for the last 40 years, but in particular over the last 20 years, and super in particular since a black man got elected president in 2008. That was the watershed moment when the hardcore right-wing white billionaires came out and said, oh, no, this is not going to stand, and funded this AstroTurf movement that we refer to as the Tea Party. And they're continuing. So now we've got left-wing billionaires getting into the act. Uh, you know, I suppose, you know, God bless them that, you know, there, there are some left-wing billionaires who are willing to stand up, but they're never going to, you know, the vast majority of billionaires are right-wingers, and they're voting their pocketbooks. They're voting their own personal interests. The solution to this, I mean, obviously, over the short term, left-wing billionaires need to get involved, but the solution to this is not for us to go begging to left-wing billionaires. It's to stop, it's to overturn these Supreme Court decisions, which, by the way, would have happened 
if Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema and all 50 Republicans had not blocked the For the People legislation that passed the House of Representatives and showed up in the Senate just about five, six months ago. I mean, let that sink in. It would have ended gerrymandering. It would have ended or radically curtailed dark money. It would have rolled back some of, many of the Citizens United provisions, particularly those that, that uh, centered around corporations being persons. It would have re-empowered the Voting Rights Act. It would have reversed the Shelby County decision where the Supreme Court said, oh, yeah, you want to racially discriminate in, in allowing people to vote? Sure, no problem. We need to fix this. We need to fix this in a big way. And we need to fix it at the cause, at the core, at the base, the systemic cause, which is the polluting, corroding, corrupting power of big money in politics. And it has been, and that corruption has been brought to us by Republicans on the Supreme Court who were put on the Supreme Court by that very big money. On conservative radio, they are promoting the big lie. They are preparing for, frankly, I think, preparing for more insurrections, more civil strife, more tearing America apart. This seems to become the, the this seems to be like the major sport or the major activity of right-wing talk radio. Here, this is a piece out of the New York Times by Stuart Thompson. The headline is, On Conservative Radio, Misleading Messages Clear Democrats Cheat. And they're quoting uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, Carol Ross, the host of the Ross Reports. They're going to cheat again, she said. You know that. There'll be rampant cheating. In Greenville, South Carolina, Charlie James, a host on 106.3 WORD. Democrats are going to lose a majority during the midterm elections unless they're able to cheat in a massive, wide-scale way. Steve Bannon on uh, WJFN in Virginia. If Democrats don't cheat, they don't win. KFAB in Omaha, Nebraska. These people are not going to sit by and just accept a big loss. Uh, they're going to cheat. KTRH in Houston. Uh, Democrats are, uh, the Democrats will hold on to the House and Senate at, where they'll be able to cheat in the 2024 election. WFGH in Fargo, North Dakota. They're going to do everything they can to cheat in the election. I mean, this is, and there's a whole bunch of other examples in the article. This, uh, Mike Gallagher, the guy on Salem Radio, the only way the Democrats can expect to win is if they cheat. I mean, this is nuts. Joe Piscopo's show. Oh, yeah, they're cheating. Uh, Michael Knowles, radio uh, and podcast host. They're just going to try and cheat and steal the election. Lars Larson. Democrats nearly always win. At least they do, or at least they cheat to, to a win. Right. Give me a break. These are the same people who, whenever a Republican wins an election, go, well, that election went well. Have you heard a single Republican claim that there was election fraud when a Republican won? I rest my case. This is nothing more than pathetic, right-wing, snowflake whining. And, and frankly, at least some of my colleagues on the radio, I had thought you know, better of these people, but apparently I'm wrong. Apparently they're just whiny, snowflake wimps. Also, speaking of the GOP, now they are kicking in with Viktor Orban. First, you get you know, uh, 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 CPAC going over to Hungary to do their, their festival in, in a country run by a strongman dictator. This is now the new form of government that the Republican Party wants to install here in the United States. Hungary has been so gerrymandered now by Orban, taking a tip, by the way, 
from the old Confederacy. Gerrymandering started in the Confederacy. And taking a tip from the old Confederacy and what Republicans are up to in, in state after state, and yes, there's some Democrats who gerrymandered too, although every single state that now has nonpartisan election commissions setting up the districts, every single one of those states is democratically controlled. But nonetheless, here we've got Republicans embracing Viktor Orban and Hungary, and now Orban is leading the charge against this 15% minimum corporate tax on profitable corporations. Here's the problem. Trillions of dollars of corporate profits are not being paid to the countries that they should be paid to because these corporations are setting up their headquarters in other countries. Apple famously set up their headquarters in Ireland so they could avoid paying American taxes back in the day. I don't know if they're still doing it, but I mean, this is just you know one tiny example of what is a hugely widespread practice. So the whole world got together and said, okay, let's just create a national minimum tax. Now, the problem is in the European Union, everything has to be done by consensus. In other words, 100% of all the countries have to agree on the same thing. One person, one country can veto any proposal from the European Union. And Orban is saying he's going to blow this thing up. And now you've got Republicans, the, the Republican Party here in the United States saying, yeah, we're going to blow it up in America too. Morris Pearl, who has been a guest on this program many times, the chair of the Patriotic Millionaires Progressive Group, he says, Republican lawmakers are siding with billionaire donors and corrupt foreign autocrats like Viktor Orban over the American people. By choosing to sabotage the United States' ability to tax corporations effectively and conspire with foreign governments, these Republican lawmakers are working with Hungary, have revealed how little they actually care about their own country. These lawmakers have chosen to do whatever it takes to keep the rich from paying their fair share, even if protecting foreign corporate wealth means undermining the well-being of the United States. It's just nuts. He said they betrayed their oaths, their constituents, and their country. They are no patriots. And this is Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. He says money talks louder than morals. Republicans Adrian Smith of Nebraska and Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania, top members of the House Ways and Means Committee, this is from the Washington Post, sent a letter to the ambassador of Hungary last week commending that country for rejecting the global tax deal and extending, quote, an offer for a direct dialogue with congressional Republicans if you consider Hungary's position on the global tax agreement. Right. Republicans are nothing more than shills for billionaires and big corporations. It just comes down to that every single friggin' time. Whether it's giant corporations that want to sell weapons to people, whether it's giant corporations that want to pour more fossil fuels into our country and into the air, whether it's giant corporations and banks that want to rip us off, insurance companies that want to, that want to rip us off. I mean, it, pick your uh, industry. And the Republicans are right there helping them pick our pockets. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. 
Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On the line with us is the Reverend William Barber, the president and senior lecturer at Repairers of the Breach, the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, the pastor at the Greenleaf Christian Church in North Carolina, and the architect of the Forward Together Moral Movement. BreachRepairers.org is the website. Rev. Dr. Barber, R-E-V-D-R-B-A-R-B-E-R is his Twitter handle, or B Repairers. Dr. Barber, welcome back to the program. It's so great to have you with us again. Last week you were going to be with us, but you were getting arrested. You want to tell us about what's going on? Well, surely. And thank you so much, Tom, for having us today. We were getting arrested last week with um, Planned Parenthood Center for Democracy because we believe we need both action in the street, action in the ballot box, and action in the legislative suites. And really making the connection between the Supreme Court uh, gutting the rights of women's productive rights, uh, gutting voting rights, uh, gutting labor rights, and then making treating corporations like people and people like things. And so we all joined together to say that we won't go back. Uh, we are going to use the model of both protest and voter participation in massive ways. Uh, and I was honored to stand with the leadership of Planned Parenthood to say that any time a legislative person, a congressperson or a Supreme Court justice gets up in the morning and says, I'm not going to use my power to expand health care to a universal, even though 330,000 people died during uh, the pandemic because we didn't provide universal health care. I'm not going to pass living wages so that people can have a life, a decent life, and be able to stand against the buffers of, uh, of inflation. Uh, and I'm not going to expand voting rights and protect them. But what I will use my power for is to take the reproductive rights of a woman, uh, give death and rapists and incest more power over a woman than she has, uh, and threaten to take the rights of the LGBTQ community and others um, and fundamentally violate the 14th Amendment that the Supreme Court and legislators and congresspeople swear to uphold. That is not a use of power. It is an abuse of power. I brilliantly said, so brilliantly said. 
Um, you you are uh, challenged by a, a pretty severe and crippling form of arthritis. You, uh, you, and and I'm and I'm wondering, you know, how do you stay inspired and keep up the fight in the face of not just the physical challenges that you're facing, but also the, you know, just the overwhelming, uh, you know, uh, how does the average person, for that matter, you know, what advice do you have for people about staying inspired and staying in the fight in the face of uh, what seems sometimes to be overwhelming odds or all the personal challenges that, that we all have in our lives? Well, you have to remember the sides of history where against overwhelming odds, people fought back. I mean, let's go back to the book you were just discussing. Let's realize that this country started out with an intentionality about allowing the rich to control everything. It's not as though it's new. Uh, poor white people, couldn't, men couldn't even vote uh, when the Constitution was original pen. Native people, women, and African Americans, people had to fight through that, even though it was overwhelming. Uh, let's go to Frederick Douglass in 1852 when the Tannic Court passed the Dred Scott decision. And Frederick Douglass gives this powerful speech a few months later saying that everything is against us, the magistrates, the Congress, the, the Supreme Court. And he says, but uh, there's a higher court than the Supreme Court. And if, he says, I received this monstrous decision cheerfully because I know that the people ultimately will not stand for it. And every attempt to ally uh, the abolitionist movement has only served to intensify and embolden this agitation. And so instead of backing down, they stood up and they built and they continued to fight. Every leader that I have read about, I spent a lot of time reading autobiographies, uh, had some major you know, challenges and disabilities. Abraham Lincoln had it in his family and personally. Uh, President Roosevelt had polio and could hardly walk. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Dr. King was stabbed early on, way before he ever did die of a dream speak. In the Bible that I read, the, many of the prophets suffered and struggled um, and so I try to look to them and then I'm inspired by the people, you know, I, I'm inspired by people who fight every day in this country, poor and low wealth people, people without health care. And they're the greatest moral leaders in this country because somehow they keep getting up and believing that they can, that fundamentally things can be changed. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, suffered greatly, but she never backed down. So we don't have the option of backing down. Do our days tired sometimes? Sure. Uh, do we get hurt sometimes? Sure. Are we upset sometimes? Sure. Are we angry sometimes? Sure. But there's a sense in which if you are alive when un injustice is trying to take over everything, then maybe you were born for that moment. Maybe you were born to be a part of the many who decide that we're not going to go back, we're not going to take this standing down, and that we're going to join the, the, the great uh, uh, you know, hallmark and hall of fame and chorus of people down through the years who have chosen to fight. One of my great scriptures in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, and it says, we are not of those who shrink back unto destruction, but we are those who persevere unto the salvation of the soul. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of not evidence of, of things not seen. And then lastly, Tom, sometimes in the midst of the push, we forget our power. You know, if people are fighting to suppress the vote, that must mean we have power that we didn't have that they're afraid of. If people are trying to block labor, then labor must be a powerful force. So many times Howard Thurman said, you must learn your own power from the way that your adversary pushes against you. And so I'm hopeful, even in these desperate times, because right now, 
For instance, poor and low-wealth people make up 33% of the electorate, 45% in battleground states. In the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival and repairs of the breach, we understand that much of what we see are extremists trying to hold on. It's kind of like they did in South Africa, the last throes of apartheid, because they see a demographic shift both in color, in character, and in content that they're not going to be able to hold back for so long that they know if we come together, poor and low-wealth people all over this country, I think in 15 states, for instance, if poor and low-wealth people vote anywhere between 1% and 26% higher than they did the last few elections, and these are people that are already registered to vote, they could fundamentally decide who, who sits in the presidency, in the governor's house, a mansion, in the state legislature, and the Congress. The adversarial extremists know this. That's why they're fighting so hard to grab so much now. But we're not through our long shot, and we've got work to do. Tell us about the breach repairers and the Poor People's Campaign and how the people who are watching or listening right now can participate with the work that you're doing, Reverend Barber. Well, I want everybody to go to uh, www.breachrepairs.org or www.poorpeoplescampaign. Uh, and you can uh, do hashtag Unite Poor or hashtag Poor People's Campaign. You know, June 18th, Tom, uh, we had the largest gathering of poor and low-wealth people, religious leaders, economists, and others in the history of the country around five interlocking injustices, uh, uh, racism, poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, the war economy, and the false moral narrative of religious nationalism. Tens of thousands of people and millions online joined together to say we stand against those. And we heard from people that you don't normally see together. Normally, when you have a national gathering, you see people speak on behalf of people. But instead, we had white women from West Virginia standing with black women from Alabama, from the Appalachia to the Delta. We had undocumented workers from California standing together with fast food workers and farmers from Carolina and farmers from Kansas. Building this coalition and committed, they filled the streets from Third Street all the way down to uh, 14th Street in, in, uh, in, on Pennsylvania Avenue. And we made a commitment, a seven-point commitment. We're calling for a major White House summit on poverty because we can't continue to ignore 140 million poor, low-wealth people in this country. That's 43% of the nation and 52% of our children. We're massively organizing the vote uh, in 15 to 20 states across this country for this midterm. We refuse to believe the midterm has to be small and a small turnout. We're uniting and hooking up and saying to folk, listen, the same people attacking women's reproductive rights are the same ones attacking voting rights, are the same ones attacking living wages. And if they are cynical enough to be together, we must be smart enough and strategic enough to come together. You know, we had massive religious bodies that in recent years had not come together in the streets like this. And so June 18th, the mass poor people's low-wage workers assembly and moral march on Washington was not a day, but a declaration and not a commencement, but a commencing uh, of what we're going to continue to build. And what we're saying to America is the, the key to, to changing the Congress so that even if extremists are there, they're in the minority. 
The key to changing state legislators so that even if extremists are there, they're in the minority. The key to electing people so we can get a better Supreme Court lies in the hands of poor and low wealth people. Mm. And any political party that is not focused on lifting up and dealing with the issue of poverty and low wealth is not focused on mobilizing poor and low wealth people who represent 33% of the electorate is is what I call constitution engaging in a politics that is constitutionally inconsistent, morally indefensible, politically inept, and economically insane. The bill, the, the very stones that have been rejected, people without health care, people live, making less than a living wage, uh, people affected by climate change the most, they are the very people that hold the power key, the political power key, to challenge the greedy aristocracy in this nation. And we must mobilize this sleeping giant. It is waking up, and we intend to wake it all the way up. That is absolutely marvelous. You are you are truly one of my heroes, Reverend Barber, and, I, and I'm a big supporter of your work and strongly encourage people to check out breachrepairs.org and poorpeoplescampaign.org. Reverend Barber, thank you so much for dropping by today. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be with you. It's always an honor to have you on this program. The door is always open. Thank you so much. Okay, over on Blaze TV. Uh, yeah, that play. Another right-wing television network, right? Blaze TV host Elijah Schaefer was on with a uh, colleague, and they were having a chat. His colleague is uh, Josiah David. And uh, he says, the saying behind every good man is an even greater woman. I don't like that phrase. I don't like it. He says, uh, beyond every man, behind every man is a strong woman that he leads as she takes care of his household. And she looks after his family as she helps him add value to the family so he can focus on his work, right? And then, and then it gets really weird. He goes on, he says, you can blame it on women. We're the ones who gave them the right to vote. We're the ones who let them into power. And his colleague says, yeah, Roe v. Wade was voted in by men. And then, and then the host says, women can't even get along with each other. They can't even figure out their friendships. They're not going to figure out the country. When women lead, it's a sign of a curse on a country. Because if men are strong and they're leading the country, well, women do not feel the need to lead. A woman is only as strong as her husband, says David, his co-host. If a woman is uh, a B-word or whatever she's doing, it's because her husband isn't leading her properly. Amazing. Schaefer says, like, you have to understand, the empowering of women was meant to weaken men. Where do these people come from? And on what planet are they living? I mean, this is just bizarre and truly crazy. Let me toss out another question for you. By the way, I just caught this over at 538. This is amazing. These are YouGov polls. And they are pointing out that in the presidential matchup for 2024 right now, Kamala Harris is beating Ron DeSantis 41% to 37%. And Kamala Harris is tied 41% to 41%. Biden is beating DeSantis 41 to 37%. But the fact that Kamala Harris is beating DeSantis, I think it's really consequential. On the other hand, you know, I suppose a lot of people are not all that familiar with Ron DeSantis. You know, people outside of Florida, you know, you and I, political junkies, people who pay attention to this stuff, we're figuring it out. But this is not in the media. The, the Kamala Harris is actually beating Ron DeSantis and is tied with Donald Trump for president. 
I frankly didn't know this. I've been, I, I suppose, kind of believing the BS in the media about, oh, people just aren't all that enthusiastic. About. She's doing a pretty good job. In fact, in many ways, she's doing a very good job. And, you know, I would like to see her speak out a little more forcefully from time to time. But I think that she's getting there. So how do you think this is going to play out? Are you seeing a presidential nominating race in 2024 that, you know, where this, you know, where Kamala Harris has a good chance? Or would you rather see another candidate? What are your thoughts on the 2024 election? It's a fascinating time. And how do you think we can best deal with climate change? I'm of the opinion that we need to ostracize the politicians who are in the pocket of the industry. We need to call them out by name, as I did in my op-ed over at HartmanReport.com. And we need to roll back Citizens United so this industry can no longer legally bribe our politicians. What say you? Martha in Athens, Georgia. Hey, Martha, what's on your mind today? I'm calling from the purple state of Georgia, where I don't know if you know what the Georgia Guidestones are, but they are a monument in Elberton, Georgia, which is an hour south of Athens, that spoke about how we need to take care of the earth, talked about great petty laws and useless officials here who, quote, tweeted, elect me governor of Georgia and I will bring the satanic regime to its knees and demolish the Georgia Guidestones. Well, at 4 a.m., the Georgia Guidestones were blown up. I saw the headline that some right-wing group has been claiming credit for it or just praising the fact that it happened. I mean, it's just this country, I don't know what's happening to us. It's just so disheartening and you know, down here in Georgia, it's very interesting. We got Brian Kemp, who Trump hates, running for governor. And I have to ask myself about the GOP people that support him. It's all about and white supremacy, Martha. I mean, that's the bottom line. People will set aside their concerns about what Trump thinks of Brian Kemp as long as he's the white guy running against the black woman. Well, I'm certainly supporting Stacey Abrams Tell me, governor here you know, in Georgia. You know, I lived in Georgia for 13 years, and I don't know what the Georgia Guidestones are. Where did they come from? They came from a secret donor in 1980. They are eight 19-foot stones set up. There's four stones, eight sides, and they're in 12 different languages. Proclaiming? Well, I'll read you a little bit. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Speak the truth. Beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Be not a cancer to the earth. Wow. Therefore, they had to be destroyed by right-wingers. Therefore, they had to be destroyed by right-wingers. Oh, yeah. And there's also a part that I don't have a picture of that talks about uh, population control. So, of course, you've got the uh, pro-life people saying that that's promoting abortion. So, whatever. I just wanted to bring it up because it's just so sad. Yeah. Martha, thank you. Charles in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Charles, what's up? You've seen the uh, Bill Maher segment on the slow-moving coup for 2021, right? I have not. Okay. So he pretty much predicted what's going to go on. And so far, he's been right. So 2022, 
they're going to take the House and the Senate, the GOP. In 2024, they're going to take the White House. Now, it doesn't matter if Trump goes to jail or not. It doesn't matter if he's prosecuted or not. None of that actually matters now because he's already done the damage. He's already got in place GOP uh, state legislatures that are willing to do what he wants and the rest of the base what they want. And a judiciary. Okay? Yeah. Exactly. They're already there. So I think the GOP has, what, something like 60% of the state-controlled uh, uh, legislature? Is that right? I don't know the number. It's Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's, it's so, roughly 30 legislatures out of 50. 30 le- okay. All right. So brass tax, Tom, question. If they're doing that and everybody is saying vote blue, the only thing that you can do is get out and vote, what's going to be the point of voting when, they are, when the Supreme Court has already got in place or look at least looking at some sort of precedent that – basically takes the, 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 the power away from people who govern the legislatures and then just let them do whatever they want with our votes. Right. This How is, is our vote going to count then? Well, this, is, this is the big challenge, oh, Charles, and, and, and I'm with you. I, I, I wrote a piece about this last week about how the Supreme Court is, they're hearing the arguments in October. They're going to hand down a decision next year about whether state legislatures, you know, the state legislature, the independent state legislature theory is the whole thing. Okay. And and we'll Do see we'll see how this shakes out. But I, we don't have an alternative, Charles, other than a vote. I mean, you know, it's we've got to show up. Robert in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? I kind of disagree with you about the whole slippery slope thing. I think this is going to be much bigger than abortion, and primarily privacy, and it goes into other issues like end of life when people are at the hospital and you know they're they don't know if their loved one is brain dead or not and they have to get off the machine and and you know doctors and families have these horrible decisions to make and you don't know if a prosecutor is breathing down your neck i agree what i wanted to say is i agree i think this is going to go way beyond abortion i think you're also going to see the same logic that alito employed in this decision used to strike down gay marriage interracial marriage you know this whole spectrum of rights that we have uh, that the Supreme Court has discovered in Bill of Rights. I'm with you. Absolutely. Well, the reason why I'm calling is everybody seems to be shocked that the Republicans are responding by saying, oh, my God, this was leaked. Why was this leaked? We need to find this person. And you're thinking, that's the reaction? Right. That's it doesn't the problem. seem to make any sense unless right. you're thinking maybe there's a deluge of other opinions that will be coming out that they don't want us to know about. And I think this person was a hero. Because I don't understand why why there's no transparency. Why can't we know what they're thinking? And well, there's where no, they law, want there's no law against leaking the Supreme Court documents. I mean, you know, it's it's a violation of a norm, of a standard, you know, a societal standard. But there's no law yeah. against. It. My curiosity is why aren't we asking what other things are coming down? Because obviously these people have their ideology, and it's going to be reflected in every single opinion that comes out of that court. Yeah. And that's all I wanted to say. What, what else is coming? I think you're absolutely right. I think you said it well. Thank you, Robert. Ari in Eureka, California. Hey, Ari, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I'd like to speak to the women of America because half of us are about to become slaves of their state government. Before that actually happens, there are a lot of things that we need to do besides, you know, register for voting and all that stuff we need to know we, know we need to do. We need to start funding organizations that are going to help rescue these women. There's one I'm looking at right now called Bridget Alliance, which their whole thing they do is they provide travel funds and support to women who have to travel to get their health care. Planned Parenthood Um, is helping out in that way, too, down in Texas. Right. If you can get morning after pills, get them now. 
before you can't. If you know you don't want kids, get your tubes tied now while you still can. And stop having sex. Yes, go on strike like the Greek women did. uh... Yeah. Yeah. Because why would you risk it? Why would you risk death for a Saturday night of fun? Why would you do that? Well, I think this is going to have a cooling effect, shall we say, on on, um, sexual activity. Although, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, when people are young and horny, this is the instinct, right? You know, we're wired to... to perpetuate yeah, the species. Is, this is why just say no doesn't work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're wired to perpetuate the species, and that's then that's why we have to be able to accommodate what happens when our wiring takes over uh, our rationality. So, Ari, yeah. thank you, thank you. Very well said, and and you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of women in America heard your message. Thank you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Karen in St. Charles, Missouri. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Love your show. Thank you. I just want to remind your listeners that anytime you're dealing with Republicans and their causes, you have to follow the money. And when it comes to abortion, the adoption industry in the United States is huge. Lots of money is made. They're connected to these crisis pregnancy centers that are connected to fundamentalist churches, that are connected to counselors hired within those churches, that are connected to lawyers, that donate to that cause. And if we could get a handle on the cost of adoption in the United States, they'd quit funding pro-life programs. That's interesting. I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of um, money is made through these adoptions. And you hear numbers like, you know, for example, if you doubt that, look at a public adoption, a government adoption. It usually runs between five and $10,000. Private adoptions, they claim, cost around 30 to 40, but I believe it's even more than that. By the time you add in travel costs and you add in a lot of, you know, incidentals, there's a lot of people with their hand in that pot. Sure. And we need to take a serious look 
at that. You have to follow the money with the Republicans, and that's where the money's at. I think you're absolutely right, Karen. I pointed out yesterday that uh, down in Florida, Ron DeSantis privatized the foster care industry. So now you've got people making money on foster care, and my recollection is it was, what, 18,000 or 28,000 kids in the system down there? Every single one of them is now a dollar bill for somebody. And as a result, mm-hmm. we're getting all these reports of children who've been abused, who've been molested, who've been, you know, pimped out. Right. I mean, just terrible stuff going on. Uh, yeah, let, is- me, let me give you an example in St. Charles. We have a community resource board in St. Charles, and they fund, they take federal funds, state funds, and they distribute it to these organizations. These organizations are your um, abstinence-only groups that are coming into the high schools and speaking in the high schools who are procuring. They're also connected with the crisis pregnancy centers. They're even connected with huge adoption international agencies. They've had their international source for infants cut off in this country. You know, Russia is no longer supplying babies. China is no longer supplying babies. Even the Ukraine I just read recently that they're not. And the birth rate is way down in the United States. And there are, thanks, thank God, for places like Planned Parenthood. And, you know, where are they going to make money? Yeah, yeah. And And there are a lot of churches and religious organizations involved in this. Yeah. So it's it's basically an industry. You've got the foster care industry. You've got the adoption industry. And these are industries that benefit from abortion being illegal. And and they're receiving federal funds for their churches and state funds for their churches and organizations that, you know, they're claiming to be nonprofit, but they're connected to a lot of different groups that are making money and then donating back to them. It's it's a real, it's a mess. Yeah, it sounds like it. Karen, thanks for the report from St. Charles, Missouri. So I've got a crazy alert for you. Oh, this is very, very strange. Rich New Yorkers are getting bladder surgery and Botox to avoid bathroom breaks on the drive to the Hamptons. I guess these aren't really rich people because the really rich people would take a helicopter, right? Of course. Typically it doesn't take, you know, it's only a hundred mile trip from New York to the Hamptons. You know, it should take two hours at the most. But it can take four or five hours because the traffic is so bad. And so they're, they're, they're doing these, uh, it's called Hampton's Bladder. And the, this doctor does prostate artery embolization, which uh, reduces the size of the prostate. And bladder Botox, shooting Botox into women's bladders, which apparently works for six months so that uh, they can hold it longer. Uh, this doctor, Shusterman is his name, he said he's seen a 20% spike in patients wanting these procedures. He says, I don't see them until around May. Then all of a sudden, May comes, and they care more. Yeah, very strange. Very strange. Okay. Uh, so much for our crazy alert also. There's Stuart in Chicago. Hey, Stuart, uh, you got something we can deal with in a minute and a half? I think there's a Machiavellian setup of Cassidy. Leading up to January 6th, she made it very clear in her testimony that she was getting very upset with what was going on. And certainly she revealed it to people. Now, we went through two impeachment trials on Trump. So 
people in the know would say something might happen and someone's going to bring accusations against us. I'm going to, you know, and here's a person, this Cassidy person. She's articulate. You know, she's earnest. I'm going to set it up so that if she makes a negative comment later on, even though it's true, we'll set her up so that it appears to be false. And this guy tells her the story about this attack of Trump in the uh, in the uh, beast in that uh, vehicle. I think he was, I, I think he was either telling a true story or he was exaggerating. I don't think this was an attempt to set up Cassidy Hutchinson. Well, it's interesting how Cassidy told that story in such great detail. Right. Well, he told it to her. You know, he reached for, reached for his riffs. He put his arm around his clavicles, an unusual use of terminology. Yeah. I mean, it was it was like she was telling the story that she witnessed, but it was just secondhand information. And now if this guy comes out and says she's not telling the truth, it discredits her. Yeah, I know. I know. Although she did say that this is what he told her. Um, but yeah, I, it, it is a concern, Stuart. And although... I mean, who knows? I mean, he, he was not in the actual beast, the presidential limousine, which would have been almost impossible for him to do that. He was in a town car, an armored town car, which would have been very easy for him to do that. So it's entirely possible that it actually happened. We'll see. Stuart, thank you for the call. Mary in Houston, Texas. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Well, I wanted to make a suggestion. I, it was my thinking that Kamala Harris could show a lot stronger if she would set up shop at the border, I mean, set up shop, move there five days a week, not D.C., and, be, and get visible, work with, and I prefer Texas, not because that's where I am, but I think it's a good visible border, and I think she can fix it. I think she's got what it takes to fix it, but it'll show if she shows up here and stays here. Don't come in for a visit, no photo op. Stay here and work this thing out and get rid of ice. And I think it would improve the situation, but mostly it'll make her visible and show that if she could accomplish the border. I mean, remember that when Trump came into office, the border wasn't an issue because the Obama administration did a pretty darn good job. Right. And uh, and if she does that, her presence will will make her a strong candidate. I get, I get what you're saying, Mary. The border only becomes an issue when Democrats are in office. <laughs> I mean, or when an election exactly. is coming. Fox News, if you yes. go back and watch Fox News, uh, and Media Matters has tracked this, every time we're within six months of an election, suddenly, there's a caravan coming, oh my God, brown people! And, and you know, it's this is just, you know, they're, they're hype. I mean, it's, it's, it's largely yeah. hype. And, 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 is, and I don't think that she should be hype. buying into it, frankly. I, I you know, I, dis no, I, I respectfully disagree so, with you. Well, I think that uh, she made a presence there because there seems to be so much controversy about we're not doing anything to help these people Actually, coming we're doing over a lot. the border. Actually, we're doing I, a lot. I think so. I, I believe that we are. But she gets no credit for any of it. Yeah. Yeah. And she's supposed to be in charge of it. And that's why I'm thinking, was Beto O'Rourke down here? Are you kidding? They'd be an awesome team. Well, let's, let's get Beto as governor first. That's where I want to go. Very, very thank <laughs> well, you very much. Joe in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Hey, Joe, what's up? Hi, Tom. I was wondering if there's ever been any legislation proposed 
to uh, tax ammunition for the carnage and the cost it causes. And I don't know if it's ever been is, proposed legislatively. You're probably the hundredth caller who has suggested that over the last decade or so on this program. But I don't know if anybody knows of any efforts to tax or, or regulate ammunition. I'd love to hear about it. But my other question is, how come the states haven't done like class action lawsuits to pay for the carnage and the school preparation and all, all that? Because Congress passed a law about 30 years ago that gave the weapons industry absolute immunity from lawsuits. Um, th- this is why the um, I, I don't recall if it was Sandy Hook or Parkland. I think it might have been the Sandy Hook families sued Remington. And they wanted to sue for, you know, manufacturing AR-15s that killed their kids. But uh, they couldn't do that because, because of this law that Congress passed, uh, which, in my opinion, needs to be repealed. So they ended up suing Remington because of its advertising, the punch-your-man card ads and ads t- targeting uh, young men like Adam Lanza, the guy who shot up, you know, Sandy Hook, the school there, Sandy Hook Elementary. And they won. They won $74 million, if I'm remembering correctly, which was the limit of the insurance policy that Remington had. I'm pretty sure it was Remington. I, I, it's possible I'm wrong, but Sean is pretty sure, too. So <laughs> I think we can safely say that. But uh, that's as far as it goes, Joe. Joe, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Lee in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Lee, what's on your mind? Let me preface it. I'm almost 80, so I have to hunt for words sometimes. And but I'm a, a precinct committee person with the Democratic Party here. In Good on you, Lee. And I wanted to address the Democratic Party messaging issue because what's going on is not that Schumer and Biden and Pelosi and the you know the national corporate-funded um, leadership of a party are stupid or aren't articulate. It's not that they know. They just don't want to really rile up the uh, fan the fires of passion in the working class, because then they might have to actually pass some of these things they give lip service to when they don't really want to because their donors would be upset with them. So that's the reason that they're not doing the messaging that they know needs to be done, but they don't want to fire up the, because the, the, the majority of not only the Democratic Party, but the majority of Americans that work are progressive and would like to see these things actually passed. Yeah. That's the reason that they're doing that. And I would like to see you come across to people and start educating, because the thing is that we don't, our, it's not that the money that the corporate, it's not only that the, that, that money buys our politicians, it buys our votes by putting out these ads and things. But if we can just get the voters to understand that they should only be voting for candidates who do not have corporate funding, especially in the primaries. We have to stop voting for corporate-funded politicians in the primaries so that we have actually got true progressives in whenever we go into the general election. Yeah, I, I agree, Lee, and I, I, I do believe that the donor class has, you know, obviously it owns the Republican Party. It's why they deny climate change and they deny the 
tobacco causes cancer and right. you know pretty it much overtly owns them yeah. but it's been but, gotten but to the point where it covertly owned our leadership of the democratic party yeah i have seen that the and, national and, leadership at yeah. least and it is problematic i'm i'm not sure that they're always pulling punches for that reason but i i'm certain on a, on a, on occasions that they do and i try to call them out but Lee, thank you. And thank you for being a committee person. Good on you. Uh, Arizona needs you. Lee, thank you for the call. Simon in Aberdeen, New Jersey. Hey, Simon, what's on your mind today? Uh, I was born in England. When I left there, which is 50 years ago, there was a 25-year mandatory sentence for a crime committed with a gun. Hmm. Example, bank uh, robbery. Without the gun, it's five to ten years. With the gun, With it's the gun. thirty-five to forty years. No, it's twenty-five. Twenty-five no plus the five. No, to 10. nothing. Yeah, I get it. Your comments. I think it's. I think you know, spot on, Simon. I think that we need to radically increase penalties. Although there are, you know, most states have laws that that do specify higher penalties for crimes committed with guns. Or other weapons, uh, you know, uh, but uh, guns are typically included. Um, but, you know, this could be done at a federal level. I mean, you know, part of the problem is that w- with any kind of federal legislation, and also with state legislation, it's actually cheaper for the NRA to buy off individual state legislators who almost always fly under the radar. Most people have no idea who their member of the state house of representatives is, or for that matter, who their state senator is. And, you know, th- it's, it's important stuff, but they, they, these people are constantly being bought off. By, by special interests. You've got you know, the, uh, uh, this whole network, a uh, right-wing network of uh, state policy institutes and whatnot that are working to keep state legislators in line on the right. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's no analog to that on the left. So you know, we've got a big job. We've got a lot of a heavy lift here to get into. We'll be right back in just a minute. It's the Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Lawrence in Berkeley. Hey, Lawrence, what's on your mind today? It's great that both you and your listeners have been talking about how irrational it is to ban abortion. But I think it's very important that progressives realize that irrationality is the goal of the rich. It's a byproduct of inequality. And that's because the rich are continually picking our pockets in very obvious ways. They won't raise the uh, minimum wage. They kill unions. They give tax cuts to the very rich so that we have to make up for it. And they, they cut all kinds of social services. These things are so obvious that if you're not irrational, if you're not a person who rejects facts, And if you don't believe in utter nonsense, like, you know, you reject evolution, then you'll see that you're being robbed. You'll see that your pocket is being picked. 
And so it's in the interest of the very rich, and especially when they become much more unequal as they are now, to make sure that people don't react to facts, don't react to science. And I can see this because I I engage in a mostly Republican blog. And, and, you know, you tell them, well, Trump couldn't have won the election because 60 judges, including a lot of Republicans, rejected that. And it means nothing to them. Right. Yeah. Don't confuse me with the facts is their slogan. Exactly. But the whole point of it is that it's so the rich can get away with continually robbing us. So elections are not enough. We've got to have a new union movement that's at least on the scale of the CIO in the 30s. Uh, We've got to have community organizing. We've got to have all of these groups where people talk to each other instead of listening to the media telling them nonsense. I completely agree, and uh, and frankly, I think that that's what we're seeing. I, I I think that we're seeing movement politics in a way that we haven't seen movement politics in a lot of years in the United States, and I think it's going to grow. Lawrence, thank you. A great diagnosis and prescription here. Okay, here's where it gets even stranger and stranger. Apparently, according to the Supreme Court, voting isn't difficult enough for Democrats, particularly black Democrats. Got virtually no coverage. The Supreme Court handed down, this was a shadow docket ruling. In other words, there was no, there was no debate in front of the court. There were no arguments. There was no analysis. There were no front of the court briefs. It was simply a case brought to the court, and by a six-to-three ruling on the shadow docket, they just decided it. And this was whether to allow this extraordinary racist gerrymander to stand in Louisiana. Louisiana is one-third black. Louisiana has six members of Congress. You would think that at least two of those members of Congress would be black. But no, they redrew the map so that there is only one, uh, there's only a possibility of one black person getting elected in Louisiana. And the Supreme Court said, that's fine. And then next year, they've got another case, next session, they're going to take up a case that is pointed right at the 2024 elections, that is going to gut the remainder, if predictions are accurate, of the Voting Rights Act. They have been chipping away at the, at the Voting Rights Act for years. I mean, the you know, Shelby County decision was the most famous, where Chief Justice Roberts said, there's no more racism in America. We've got a black president. That's proof. Uh, racism is over. And so if uh, those states, you know, the southern former slaveholding states that used to have all kinds of draconian ways to prevent black people from voting, if they're going to change their voting laws, if they're going to only have, you know, two voting machines in a in an area with 30,000 people that are black, but they're going to have 200 machines in an area with 30,000 white people. That's just fine. That, you know, uh, 10 hour long lines in black neighborhoods, five minute lines in white neighborhoods. That's okay. Uh, It doesn't matter because there's no more racism in America. Don't you know? Well, they're going to, they're going to take it. Uh, The only thing that's left, that was section five of the Voting Rights Act. If my memory serves me correctly, they're going to go after section two as well, which goes after explicit racial gerrymandering is not the right word, 
efforts to suppress the vote based on race. Let's put it that way. And, you know, the bottom line is we need to recognize that these guys are playing keeps. This is war from the Republicans' point of view. And Democrats have to stop thinking of it as an exercise in legalese or politics. This is neither. This is war. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.